and welcome into episode three of the Kentucky Realtors Podcast. This is Paul Del Rio, your faithful host, and I'm joined by my faithful counterpart, Richard Wilson. Hello, everybody. Appreciate you being here again, Richard. Richard is our Government Affairs Director, and uh, we're going to give you a little uh, couple of updates here about some local uh, news happening in the Kentucky real estate front. And then a little bit later in the podcast, we are going to head out to a conversation that we had in San Francisco with, uh, I was joined by Steve Stevens, our CEO, and uh, we were joined by Erin Stackley. Uh, She is a senior policy representative on commercial issues at the National Association of Realtors. And she shared with us a lot about uh, some of those uh, concerns and which, you know, they can differ slightly. There's, there's obviously differences in residential and commercial, Mm -hmm. but there's policy issues that affect uh, that kind of branch of our operations. So she shared a lot about that and we had a really good conversation uh, with her and Steve. You know, I just wanted to to make everybody aware and and I guess draw everybody's attention to uh, last month's uh, podcast episode where where you interviewed um, uh, Drew Drew Myers Myers and Helen Devlin from NAR and and gave a fantastic a federal update and, and talked about many, many issues uh, that are before Congress and that are very important to to the real estate industry and realtors here in Kentucky. Um, uh, Helen also kind of gave a little little funny uh, moment there about uh, her favorite <laughs> uh, favorite congressman here in Kentucky, um, Andy Barr, and, and talked about Mitch McConnell, Leader, Leader McConnell, and and then Chairman Yarmouth as well. Uh, but I, I just wanted to. to make sure everybody goes back and listens to that episode because it's great. Yeah. You did, a, you did a fantastic job during that interview. Well, thanks. So. No, it was good. They were really forthcoming. And Drew's actually helped, you know, line up a lot of the folks that I talked with at NAR and I'm going to be talking with in the future. So uh, including Aaron, who, yeah. who we'll talk to later in this episode. So. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to, to, to listen to Aaron's yeah. uh, interview as well. So Great. Yeah. And I know you've got a few tidbits for us here in a second, but I just yeah. wanted to quickly touch on a couple of things. Um, first, looking at the housing market here, um, I'm not going to do a full report. Obviously, the, the, these are available on our website. We're going to have it all, on all kinds of different channels that you can see specific numbers. But obviously, if, if you're a realtor here in Kentucky, you probably know that things are going really well. Um, mm-hmm. Prices are continuing to rise this year. Uh, nationally, median price is about 5% greater than a year ago. Um, we're kind of in the south region as far as NAR is concerned. We had the fastest price growth um, this, yeah, but this past year by 5.4%. So, um, yeah, prices are up, um, and that's just an indicator of the demand. Uh, Inventory obviously is low. Uh, It's steadily declined, um, but those numbers kind of languishing haven't really dampened sales uh, for 2019. In fact, I was hoping this would happen, um, Mm -hmm. and it seems to be bearing bearing out, is that the year-to-date numbers through October is showing that we're nearly 900 units ahead of the record sales year that we had in 2017. How much? Almost not about 900 units. Wow. We're a thousand units ahead of where we were this time last year, and looking back to 2017, which was our highest year on record, we're about 900 units ahead of, wow. ahead of that. Okay. So if November December pan out how they should, even if they perform marginally well, yeah. you know, within even a 10% decrease, 
will still shatter wow. last year's or 2017's record. So, That's good news. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there's other things with there's low inventory. There's struggles that come yeah. along with that. And there's, you know, there's price increases and things like that. And that's throughout the state. That, it, that helps it, that's inventory. statewide. Yeah, that's, yeah there's local associations that maybe didn't have the best month. and But, I mean, everybody is doing really well. And looking across the board, it, it's it's going in the right direction. And I know, I know you said you don't want to get too much into it, but is there any talk about recession? Yeah, you know, in fact, at NAR, we, we kind of were listening in to see what NAR's economist Lawrence Yun had said. Mm-hmm. And uh, while some economists say it might, there might be one on the horizon. He is emphatically saying not uh, that they don't. He doesn't expect one. In twenty twenty. In twenty twenty. Oh wow! Um, okay, gotcha. You know, he's he's talked about the fact that there might be a plateau or a slowdown in the growth. Gotcha. Um, I mean, all markets correct at some point, but yeah. you know, there he's really been cautious at the beginning of the year. But as we've nearing the end of the year, and then at this past annual convention, he he really said. I don't see it happening. And, you know, we're not seeing that here in Kentucky. I mean, we're set to grow. Uh, unemployment is at record low. Mm-hmm. Um, the economy is churning. And so, you know, we have we expect good things. Um, we've put out some communications about that and, and what we expect. Um, I think nationally they're looking at a 2% increase in GDP. The housing market likely is going to increase. Um, the uh, You know, long term, one thing that should hopefully help with the inventory problem is new housing permits are uh, at an all-time high. Okay. Maybe um, maybe I'm, all-time high is not the right way to say it, but if everything that is permitted is going to be built, mm-hmm. it's really going to affect that inventory okay. uh, problem. Now, of course, we're talking nationwide, Yeah. Um, but that's a good sign. I mean, people are responding to this. They see it as a, you know, the economy being this good. If there's a problem associated with that, it's inventory. And so they're looking ahead of that. So Good. It, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's going well. And then, uh, of course, uh, you know, shifting gears a bit from the housing market to uh, continuing education. We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're approaching the end of the year. Realtors are really going to have to pay attention to have they uh, sub, uh, fulfilled all their continuing edu- education requirements. Yeah. The deadline to receive credit this year is December 31st. Um, so if you complete the course after midnight, you don't get credit for 2019. <laughs> so uh, a midnight on December 31st. So plan ahead, K- plan ahead, folks. Plan, plan ahead. KRC is recommending uh, definitely trying to get everything in uh, done. The course is done by mid month of December, so that they have time to kind of process that and there's no lapse. Um, if uh, if you don't know, there is a $500 fine assessed by KREC, no exceptions, if you do not fulfill the requirements. Hmm. Um, and if they don't get it reported to them, that that counts. I mean, yeah. it, you, you, it has to be reported. Um, realtors can visit the KREC website for more information and to check your education status. You gotta log into your KREC portal account. Uh, if you haven't set one up, you can go to krec.ky.gov and click on online services located up in the top banner and then click create login over on the right side of the screen. You have to use your social security number or the OPID number to create an account and that OPID number can be found on any email that a licensee has received from the commission. So they've made it easy for you to get on there and make sure that you've done what you need to do uh, to continue to uh, remain licensed in Kentucky. So it's up to everybody um, to do that, to check that. I think last year they were at the last minute, there were about 3,000 licensees that hadn't Ooh. done that. And so as we were approaching mid-December, we kind of were communicating with everyone saying, hey, don't forget, let's get this done. We yeah. don't, 
You know, you can always get your license back reinstated pretty quickly. But if you have a transaction going on, <laughs> it's going to kind of put a hitch in things if you need to kind of wait. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the fine on top of that to deal with. So, yeah. so the, the key here is act early and, and, and get that taken care of, and then there's no worries. Absolutely. Also, if, I mean, if you have <clears> – if questions come up, I mean, they can, they can reach out to uh, our education staff here, Nicole and, and Jenny, and they're fantastic and would love to talk to you. Yep. To anybody if they have any questions. So Yeah, know. and obviously Kentucky KYRealtorInstitute.org uh, mm -hmm. would be the site that you can go to uh, to take any of those online courses. All of the classroom uh, courses have been exhausted for this year. So if you do need to do anything, it'll be online. Do that sooner than later. Uh, yeah. If you have any questions, definitely call us. Uh, but uh, you can always check out the website there and get that info. Yeah. So take care of that. And Richard, I think you have a tidbit for us yeah. uh, regarding the KREC. Do you want to do you want to talk about NFIP, National Flood Insurance first or do you want to talk about KREC? First? Whatever you want. Hit me with the best news you got. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as you remember, uh, or as my, our listeners may know that mm -hmm. legislation was passed last session that created two additional spots on the KREC. And then also two other spots were, were coming open due to uh, Lois Ann Dispinet's uh, first term ending right. um, this year. And, and we uh, had a resignation too, yes, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, yep. Commissioner Joe Hayden resigned uh, earlier this summer. And so that created four vacancies on the commission. So the KREC selection committee uh, submitted names to the governor, uh, two different times this this summer, and uh, Governor Bevan chose from those names. Those four people are uh, Lois Ann Dispinette. She has been reappointed for a second term. Very good. Yes, and then the three new ones are Joy Amon, Jim Simpson, and Larry Disney. Uh, and just to kind of give you a little background, a uh, brief background on, on each three, um, Joy Amon is from Ludlow, Kentucky. She is a member of the Northern Kentucky Association of Realtors. Um, she is replacing Joe Hayden, uh, who, as I said, resigned uh, from his seat earlier this summer. So she will serve out uh, the remainder of his unexpired term. Uh, so her, her term would really end October of 2020, so October right. of next year. So she's only serving, <clears throat> going to serve one year on the on the uh, commission and then she'll be up for reappointment after that um and then uh larry disney he is from uh, winchester kentucky and is a member of the lexington bluegrass association of realtors uh, larry has been appointed to serve a three-year term uh, and that will expire in october of 2022 and then finally uh jim simpson he is from dry ridge and is also a member of Northern Kentucky Association of Realtors. Uh, like Larry, uh, he has been appointed to serve, excuse me, a uh, three-year term that expires in October of 2020. Um, all four of these commissioners are also a member of the Kentucky Realtors Association, and, and we are very grateful uh, for their willingness to serve their colleagues as uh, KRAC commissioners. Uh, we look forward to Continuing to build on an already strong relationship uh, with the yeah. Kentucky Real Estate Commission and, and look forward to to working with them next year um, and, and the years after that. So 
congratulations to uh, the four new members. Again, that is uh, Lois Ann Dispinette, Joy Amon, Jim Simpson, and Larry Disney. Uh, so, so shout out to uh, the, to those four individuals and and um, the Kentucky Realtors would like to say thank you for um, serving um, serving the Realtors here in Kentucky. And uh, we we know that you will all do a fantastic job on the commission and, and look forward to to working with yeah. you. It, so It's really great having folks that we work with on a regular basis that are involved in the association yeah, absolutely. to then sit on the commission and just it makes things like what happened this past year with the regulation changes and oh, things yeah. and just that kind of communication and, and back and forth and working together to really just be on the same team for the industry is, is just invaluable. So again, uh, I'll, I'll echo your congratulations and, and your appreciation for them. So yeah, absolutely. One other thing I, I wanted to mention in, in relation to the Kentucky real estate commission and uh, the Kentucky real estate authority is, is the news that uh, director Harold quarter uh, will be, will be departing from the uh, Kentucky real estate authority uh, in early December uh, director quarter has been a, a good friend to the Kentucky Realtors during his time uh, as director. And uh, we hate to see him go. Uh, we, we loved working with him. He has been instrumental in getting some, some good policy and, of course, the new regulations um, uh, passed and, and yeah. kind of on their way to being implemented um, either in December or early next year. Um, he's also... He also really helped us with um, the uh, Ohio Reciprocity Agreement. Um, as as um, as you may know, with the new regulations, we're Kentucky is going from a uh, recognition state to a reciprocity state. So we are we're working with our neighboring states and and trying to get a uh, reciprocity agreement worked out between uh, the two states. Uh, and the first one. Um, that we're working with is Ohio and the language for the language in the reciprocity agreement is completed and is about to head back to Ohio for okay. final, final, uh, sign off, I guess you could, you could say. So director quarter, if you're listening, uh, Kentucky realtors, thank you for your service. And, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll cross path, cross paths in the future. And, and, uh, just wanted to say thank you. So absolutely, yeah. Thank you, Director Quarter. Uh, appreciate all your your efforts to work with us, uh, especially you know I, I've been here about a year, and so I, I've seen how involved you are. So thanks for that. Um, and then uh, Richard, one federal quick federal update on uh, NFIP. We did have uh, some news come down recently for that. Yes, uh, some big news with the National Flood Insurance. It has been uh, reauthorized for it seems like the 40th time but it's it's really about the i think that's 13th time 12th or 13th time that they've had a short-term reauthorization to the national flood insurance uh program uh the deadline for the new reauthorization is december 20th uh so congress must reauthorize the nfip by no later than 11.59 11.59 on December 20th. Okay. Um, so an early Christmas present <laughs> would be a full reauthorization of the bill, not just an extension. That's right. That's right. Um, extension number 15. Right. right. <laughs> so, of course, of course, we would love to see a long-term reauthorization. I, I know there's legislation moving through Congress right now that 
<clears throat> that talks about a five-year um, yeah. reauthorization to the to the NFIP, and that's that has the full support uh, of NAR and of course KYR supports that as well. But they the, the whole kicking the can down the road uh, when you, when you think about kicking the can down the road on legislation, thirteen yeah. thirteen reauthorizations <laughs> in in past two years. Yeah. That's the definition. Of That's it. a yeah. little much. So, so yeah, um, yep. So reauthorization uh, again, and uh, they they must meet the December twentieth deadline uh, to reauthorize. So, okay. There's your there's your uh, brief federal issues update. Yeah, and you mentioned episode two of the podcast with Drew Myers and Helen Devlin, and they did discuss some of that as well in yep. there. So that'd be a good one to kind of refresh on <clears throat> as well, and hopefully we'll get a long-term solution soon so that'd be nice appreciate it richard thank you much thanks for having um me. yeah we're going to jump now uh to speak with uh aaron stackley um she joined steve stevens our ceo and myself when we were in san francisco from the lobby of the marriott hotel uh there right across from the convention center and she was kind enough to give us some time and so we're gonna head over there and talk about that Thanks so much for joining us today, Erin. Thank you. Happy right. to be here. How is your week going so far? Is this productive? Very productive. I've had some great conversations with realtors. It's really nice to be at these conferences and get actual face time with the members, especially those that maybe don't serve on your committees that you work with but are mm-hmm. interested in those issues. So, um, yeah, it's been a good week so far. Good. It seems it's kind of a whirlwind. I am kind of feel like I'm on the periphery watching everyone, but I, I see all our members uh, interacting and, and meeting and you know, you get to see folks from NAR meet with the state folks, meet with some local folks. So it's a good, good opportunity for everyone to kind of get together, put faces to names and things like that. So uh, I'm glad to do that this week as well. This is my first uh, annual conference. I went to the legislative meeting uh, back in May. So Okay, so, so you're kind great. of a newbie. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Steve's breaking me in this, this yeah. week. So. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to touch on a few issues, um, and I thought we could start with... Uh, infrastructure and the opportunity zones these are i know infrastructure is very important um property values to just so many things uh, i used to work in the infrastructure environment uh, before this job and uh, i know how important that is and then opportunity zones is something relatively new and i know we get a lot of questions about that and how that's going to affect so if you could just start there and let's have a conversation about that sure absolutely um so i'll start with infrastructure The American Society of Civil Engineers puts out a infrastructure report card every few years for the United States. We have not gotten above a D grade on that report card for, I think, the last decade or so. Um, Everyone agrees that infrastructure is an issue in this country. Roads need to be repaved, bridges need to be fixed. Um, And there's also this dichotomy where we have a need to fix the infrastructure that we currently have, but we also need to have infrastructure for where we're going to be 10 years from now. We don't want to invest billions of dollars into a type of infrastructure that's not going to necessarily apply going forward. One example of this is some areas want to be building special roads and lanes specifically for self-driving vehicles because that's something that they think is going to really explode in the next few years. There is also always a divide between what type of infrastructure in terms of urban versus rural. There's very different needs. Um, One of the things that we talk a lot about is the need for um, rural broadband. 
there are huge swaths of areas in this country, and I believe many of them are in Kentucky as well, um, where people who live in the more remote rural areas don't have access to broadband. Well, that's a huge issue. Um, that Broadband has become basically a public utility at this point. Um, so that can impact their ability to do business, that can impact their ability to really move around, um, and obviously it has an impact on any realtors that live out in that area because you guys live and work on your phones, on your Wi-Fi, on your 3G. So if you don't have that, you're at a massive disadvantage. I honestly don't even know how someone would work in real estate without access to consistent internet these days. And so how does that affect commercial real estate? I, I know a lot of people think of access at home as it pertains to email and streaming and all of that, but what does that mean for commercial real estate? Well, for commercial, it's really inextricably tied to all sorts of infrastructure. Um, on the one hand, we see, for example, I grew up in Northern Virginia. We see there as um, the metro has expanded into areas that previously didn't have access to um, public mass transportation. There are office parks that get built up. There are shopping centers, um, apartment complexes, things like that. So as people get access to areas that they didn't previously have access to, whether that's because a road is built, whether that's because um, there is some sort of train or subway line that goes through, even a bus system, then that provides opportunities for new development. And frequently that development is commercial real estate. Yes, there's also you know the need for housing in those areas, but people buy a house, they want to be able to buy coffee nearby. They want to be able to take their kids to a play center. Um, and as you know, um, especially around things like uh, workforce housing, um, there's an affordable housing issue in this country. Um, and so uh, affordable apartments, affordable housing also come hand in hand with the infrastructure development in those areas. For sure, that is so important. I mean, when people think of infrastructure, you know, they might think of roads and bridges. And legislators fall into that category where they think, what can I bring home for my local constituents? And, and if you can't point to an above ground asset and say, look, I brought this to you, you know, it's a bit harder to sell something that is hidden, even though it's so important for the health of the community. As Steve always says, you know, moving the needle on issues like that is sometimes so much more difficult. And, and we've seen that over the years. Absolutely. And that's been one of the challenges. Um, you know, NAR has gotten much more involved in the infrastructure issue over the past couple of years. This past May, during the um, legislative meetings in D.C., infrastructure was one of our talking points that a lot of our members are very excited to go and talk to their members of Congress about. Um, and it's not that anyone disagrees that we need to be investing in infrastructure on a federal level. It's that nobody can agree how to pay for it because it is expensive and every year that we don't invest that money, it becomes more expensive because all of a sudden we're that much further behind on the new development and we need that many more repairs on what we already have. So that has been a big challenge. The um, gridlock in DC has not particularly helped it. Um, uh, so that's one of our things. We just have to keep constantly beating that drum. Well, one thing that is new out of Washington, D.C. is Opportunity Zones. So can you explain to us what's an Opportunity Zone and what can realtors do to champion those in their local areas? Yes, absolutely. So the Opportunity Zone program was created by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act just about two years ago exactly at the end of 2017. Um, and from a very high level, basically it is an 
a tax incentive for people to reinvest capital gains into these communities that have been designated as opportunity zones. These are low-income communities, um, and the incentives are on, as I said, capital gains. And they're trying to basically bring private money into these areas to promote development uh, and job creation. So um, there's a few different tax incentives that the program has. Um, first, if you take cap, if you realize capital gains and you reinvest them into what's called an opportunity fund, which is the investment vehicle required for investing in the opportunity zone itself, then you defer paying the capital gains tax on those reinvested gains through the end of 2026 or until you sell your interest in the fund. If you hold those in the fund for at least five years by the end of 2026, you'll get a 10% reduction in the gains that you pay. If you hold them for at least seven years by the end of 2026, you get a 15% reduction. And that's through an adjustment in basis. Uh, obviously, we're almost to the end of 2019. So that seven-year deadline is coming up for investing in those funds. Um, but even if you don't make your investment in time for either the five or seven year um, reduction in capital gains, there is still a third benefit. And that is that if you hold your interest in an opportunity fund for at least 10 years, all new appreciation on those gains is completely tax free. And you have until the end of 2028 to make those investments because the opportunity zones themselves expire at the end of 2028 and then the program completely ends at the end of 2047. So there's a lot of potential there and one of the things that they're really trying to do is get people to invest in new development. Um, the investments have to be done into what is known as opportunity zone business property. It can either be original use or a substantial improvement of the property. And there's a lot of tax terms of art that go along with all of this. For those that are interested in perhaps creating their own opportunity fund, working with a fund that already exists and reinvesting capital gains, I encourage them to go to our Opportunity Zone page on nar.realtor. We have a lot of resources there. We also have a toolkit that we've put together, which has NAR resources, IRS and Treasury resources, um, resources from other groups that list funds and what they're specifically developing in, things like that, um, which is all in one place, along with state-specific resources. So you would be able to find the Kentucky Economic Development Organization page, as well as Kentucky's Opportunity Zone page on that uh, toolkit. And that does that toolkit include identify what the opportunity zones are? So there are resources on there that um, okay. have maps of where all those zones yeah. are. I've seen a map, uh, and it's it's pretty interactive. It's neat. Uh, it's a it's a nice tool. You can actually go to the community and find you know the zones and and where they are in the state of Kentucky and every state. So um, I played a little bit with it. So I, I think it's great. Yeah. And Kentucky has 144 opportunity zones, and they're spread across 84 counties in this. Uh, Commonwealth. So some people are going to be surprised. They got one in their backyard and they don't even know it. Yeah. Exactly. So, right? I know. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and we're really excited about this program because even if realtors aren't working with clients who are developing in the zones, even if they themselves are not maybe investing in developing new real estate, this is an opportunity for realtors to be very involved with their communities and to make this program a success. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to make these communities better. New development, new jobs, um, and help the people that live there. Realtors are their local experts. You guys are 
out on the streets every day, pounding the pavement, driving through, you see where there is a property that um, has been vacant for a long time. You see where there's a storefront where they only last six months and they keep coming through and shutting down. Um, and so what we're really trying to do is to make sure that realtors have the tools to sort of be the connectors in their communities, to bring together the local economic development organization, their local government, um, community groups, and come up with a prospectus for what type of development they want to have build, what type of investors they want to attract. Some of these communities have actually created their own opportunity funds to reinvest directly back into their zones. And that way they have control over that and they can really make sure that the investments are what that community needs. Um, so we're excited to see where realtors take this program. Um, we think, you know, whether you're working with a fund um, to do a development, whether you yourself are investing in them, or if you're just out there bringing together community members to make sure that what happens in those zones is what needs to happen in those zones, there's a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of potential benefits as well. You know, and I think the first step, obviously, is awareness, which is what you have helped us do, and hopefully through this and other ways, uh, we can make our realtors more aware and talk more about it, because I think that's the big thing right now. There's a lot of folks just have no idea, and so um, we, we've got to be, be a conduit to get that info out, so we will, we will do that. So thank you for helping us with it. Thank you. So opportunity zones are good for everyone, not just residential realtors, but commercial. So... Coming back to the commercial side, tell us a little bit about energy efficient commercial buildings deduction, and I think that's more commonly known as 179D. 179D. Um, this is a deduction for uh, improvements to commercial buildings um, to their energy efficiency, basically. Um, it is a great deduction, um, and it's very popular on the Hill. However, it is not a permanent part of the tax code. So every couple of years, or sometimes more frequently than that, Congress has to reauthorize that among other non-permanent tax code provisions. Now, is that kind of like when you're energy efficient at home, you, there's a deduction? I mean, is it that kind of a thing? It's if, if you get your building more energy efficient, you have a tax deduction? Uh, yes, there are, of course, certain requirements. You have to have it certified by an independent um, group, but you get a deduction of up to $1.80 per square foot for the improvements that you make. And there's a fair amount of flexibility to what those improvements are for the commercial buildings. Um, again, this is a really popular deduction. If you were to go on the Hill and talk to members from either side of the aisle, they would say, yeah, love 179D. The problem is that this issue, along with the other uh, non-permanent tax deductions, they all get reauthorized as a large package. So you're not just talking about 179D, you're talking about, you know, dozens of tax deductions that have to be approved and there's going to be some that are less popular and so that's what, sort of what holds it up. Right now um, 179D expired at the end of last year. Actually it technically expired at the end of 2017 and was retroactively reauthorized uh, to go through the end of 2018. Um, so NAR is part of a couple coalitions um, where we're really pushing for 179D to be reauthorized. We obviously want a long-term reauthorization and we want it to be retroactive so people can claim it on their 2019 taxes. Um, this is an issue that can really be beneficial uh, if we could get this made permanent because 
if people are deciding whether or not to make energy efficient improvements to their building and this is up in the air as to whether or not they can claim this deduction, then they might opt not to because it becomes more expensive. Um, whereas if it's there and they can take advantage of that deduction, then they have that up front and you're seeing energy efficiency in those buildings. So it's a better system for everyone. So we have been very active on that issue. Good. That's, that's great. Um, that's helpful too. Um, you know, Aaron, since I've been at the association, I've heard uh, talk about the 1031 like-kind exchange, and most realtors are probably familiar. Um, some may not, so maybe we'll explain that a little bit. But the fact is, um, that's been something that's been a tool that's been used. Uh, but there's been some discussion recently about that as you know, we're getting more and more uh, dialogue on substantive issues that might be a part of the presidential campaign. Um, it sounds like some people may not want to see those stick around. Can you shed some light on that? First of all, tell everybody again simply what the 1031 is and what about that? So a 1031 like-kind exchange is incredibly um, important to commercial real estate. Essentially, you exchange one property for a like-kind property. Um, if the values are the same, then you don't have to pay taxes on the sale, which is great. 1031s bring liquidity to an otherwise illiquid asset, um, which is crucial to our industry. Um, the problem with 1031s is that they're not necessarily well understood on the Hill. Um, I know it's shocking, but not every member of Congress knows every single thing in the tax code and can tell you what it does. Um, and for those who are uneducated on it, it can be seen, and of course we push back against this, but like a loophole. Um, it looks like people are getting something for nothing. A few years ago, there were some tax reform proposals. This was before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that passed in 2017. And they either had in them a full repeal of 1031 or capping it at $1 million. $1 million doesn't necessarily go far in commercial real estate um, in a lot of markets. So that would have been incredibly negatively impactful on our commercial members. Now, um, in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, we were able to save 1031s for real estate. Used to be you could use them for all kinds of things, planes, uh, fine art, things like that. Real property is the only thing that you can use 1031s for now, and that is in large part due to NAR's advocacy and education campaign on the Hill on that. So what we're seeing now is we have uh, a large group of people who are running for president under the Democratic uh, platform. And um, they all have uh, some uh, proposals, um, and a lot of them are spending programs. Well, how do you pay for a spending program? You look to see, well, where can I get money from other things? And for those that don't understand it, 1031 looks like a big chunk of money. It looks like an easy win, Yes, because right? all of a sudden you'd be collecting taxes on all of this. Of course, NAR completely disagrees with that, not only because uh, several years ago we worked with some groups and produced a study that showed that actually 1031s ultimately uh, result in more taxes being collected at the end of the day. Because when people get a property through 1031, they improve it, they invest into it, and when it's ultimately sold, the taxes paid on it are higher than if they'd paid taxes at that original purchase. So. What we have to do, once again, is really pound the pavement on the Hill and make sure that all the members of Congress and all of their staffers understand what a 1031 is, 
why it's so positive, not just for real estate, but for the economy as a whole, and how detrimental it would be to repeal or cap that for, again, not just commercial real estate, but the economy as a whole. Great. That's a great explanation. And thanks. And keep up the education effort, will you? Because it sounds like we have to preserve that. Absolutely. I mean, there's an election every two years, so there's always new faces that we got to get in front of on that issue. Well, and that issue specifically, you know, 1031's uh, real, real property being the only thing that's even available to do it on is just a testament to how hard NAR works and, and just what a benefit an association like that is to a realtor and, and his or her voice in Washington. So thanks for your continued work on that. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks for being here today. We really appreciate it. I know I learned a lot. This is this is kind of new territory Very for me. Very helpful. It is. And uh, it's great. And our members are going to learn a lot too when they listen. So it's awesome. Great. Well, I hope you guys uh, continue to reach out to your friendly DC staff on your commercial needs. Absolutely. Certainly well. Thanks so much, Aaron. Thank, Thank you. you. And that's going to just about do it for episode three. Special thanks to Aaron Stackley, Richard Wilson, and Steve Stevens for being a part of this one. And to the listeners, thank you for joining us as well. We'll catch you next time on the KYR Podcast. Thank you.